0: Think of your favourite city trip, could be anywhere, international or international. What do you remember about the place? Do you recollect the ambience? What were the streets like? What smell filled the street? Was it the savoury smell of chaat in India or the sweet smell of Khao lam in Thailand? Oh wait, are you thinking of Accra from West Africa? Because I certainly am. Wherever your trip was, you must certainly associate with some or the other food, most probably a street food. How am I so certain? Well, about two billion people consume street food every day. The probability of your association with street food is pretty high. Welcome fellow urban enthusiasts. I'm Sabha Sarkil, and with me as always is
1: Brett Kahn.
0: And we are both second year urban planning grad students at the University of Georgia. And today is our final episode and it's titled Street Food and Urban Planning.
1: In 1997, Irene Tinker defined street food as any minimally processed food sold on the street for immediate consumption. You often see vendors selling ready-to-eat food or drinks on the edges of streets, markets, parks, and even fairs. It is a common sight in developed cities. Street food culture can be traced as far back as ancient Greece. It is properly believed by historians that fried fish from ancient Greece can be considered as the first documented street food. But not just Greece. Also, ancient Rome and many Eastern empires embraced street food culture. Historically, and even now, street food is synonymous with any vibrant, dense, and functional city. Why is it that street foods and prosperous urban living go hand in hand? The answer is simple it is a cultural response to urbanity. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is functional cities are often walkable, and the streets are heavily packed with hungry, fast paced pedestrians. Think of Mumbai, Lagos, Bangkok, New York. These cities share these characteristics. Street food offers a simple and direct solution for those trafficking urban streets. Tasty, ready-to-eat, affordable food, on the go.
0: Apart from catering to the fast-paced city crowd and providing a rich culture to the city, street food caters greatly to the low-income population. A study in Africa reveals street food vending employs on average 37% of the labor force. And contributes about 38% to the total GDP. Apart from providing employment opportunities to the low-income population, it also acts as a source of affordable nutrients to the majority of people, especially in the developing countries of the global south. Additionally, it also provides other employment and economic opportunities. Street food culture drives more people in these cities through tourism.
1: Check it out, guys. It's Trevor James. We just got into Calcutta, India, and today we're going for a full-on street food tour. I am so pumped. Let's go check it out. Look at this, guys. Right across the street, there is a busy tea stall. We're going to get a sabsi curry and a kachori. We're going to take this kachori. Nice warm kachori in the morning. Looks like some black sesame. It's like, a, it's like a fried flower ball with some, might be some cumin seeds in there as well. Oh yeah, warm potato, look at that. Warm potato curry with paneer cheese. Beautiful. Designers and planners often argue that tourism is driven primarily by the local culture rather than landmarks. In an analysis conducted by Donatella and Francesco studying the role of street food in urban systems, they write, The decision-making process of consumers are influenced by the sites that bind to the products they buy, even when this does not derive from direct experience but are extensive relationships in time and space. In particular, the decision to purchase and therefore consume food also arises from the interaction with the land and consequently, these play an implicit and growing role in communication and sales of the local product area. Through street food, travelers acquire new knowledge and understanding of the traditional, local, and regional culture of a destination. These extensive relationships encourage future tourism and popularity.
0: When we asked in the beginning of the episode if you did think about food while reminiscing about a trip, it is because food, tourism, and placemaking are inherently linked. Nations across the globe recognize these relationships, and formally or informally have taken steps to make space for street food in the cities. Thailand is one such city. According to the Tourism Authority of Thailand, more than 300 billion baht, or roughly 20% of Thailand's total tourism revenue from international visitors, was spent on food in 2016. Thai dining is known globally as a significant factor that influences international tourists to visit Thailand. In 2017, Travel Weekly UK ranked Thailand as the fourth best destination for food and drinks. Bangkok, the capital city of Thailand, was ranked third in the top global cities for dining.
1: How and why is Thai street food so successful? A study conducted by Yok Samon Jehong offers some insights. The researcher identifies nine factors that contribute to Thai street food culture. One, cultural and local experiences. Two, menu and atmosphere. Three, staff service. Four, core food quality. Five, value for money, six, product attractiveness, seven, staff proficiency, eight, packaging and portions, and last but not least, number nine, traditionality and authenticity.
0: Tourists are generally seeking and focusing on new experiences, such as local, cultural and authentic way of life. And hence, interaction with local vendors and food make cultural and local experiences as a primary factor contributing to the success of Thai street food. Menu and atmosphere are associated with food pictures and presentation, the variety of food and the ambience of the place. Friendly and fast staff services result in a successful street food business. The tourists are intrinsically looking to form relationships with the space. Such qualitative interactions contribute heavily to a positive experience. Fourth, The perception about core food quality includes basic elements such as freshness and cleanliness of food, ingredients, and recipes. Fifth, street food is synonymous with affordable food, and hence value for money directly impacts the success of it. Thai street food culture enables tourists to experience authentic Thai culture on a budget.
1: Product attractiveness is often associated with food smell, taste, and texture, along with quantity and hygiene. Staff proficiency relates to the ability of the sellers and or cooks to inform and communicate with tourists about their products and menus and efficiently prepare or cook street foods. The next dimension, labeled packaging and portions, is related to packaging design, portion size, and the general appearance of street foods. Lastly, traditional and authentic relates to the popularity of Thai street foods, which are well known for offering special traditional experiences that are authentically Thai.
0: Towards the west of our globe, here in the United States, street food culture is not historically as popular as some of the Eastern counterparts. During the year 1945-1975, to street food saw a serious decline in North America, as food was pushed into supermarkets and street was given to those with cars, and other conflicting uses were banned. Not just automobile priority, but the effort to remove food vendors from the North American streetscape was also influenced by xenophobia. The result of this approach led American streets to be dominantly occupied by monopolized supermarket chains, fast food and cars. And hence the diverse urban life that Jane Jacob often refers to is missing in most parts. However, Portland, a city in the state of Oregon, is taking a new approach to street planning.
1: When they they start coming out, it was sort of a new thing like 15 years ago. And, but it was sort of at the heart of, of people. It's like people are willing to try the underdogs. And that's sort of the Portland story. It's about giving the underdogs a chance. And if you have the, you know, if you watch Portlandia, the, these are all a bunch of underdogs, right? And um, so this cart has sort of, a, kind of epitomizes it. And it gives a chance to the youth and the entrepreneurs. A lot of immigrants have started here. It's sort of like this cart's have fueled a new movement of, of food from food cart to bricks and mortars, and vice versa. Street food culture in Portland began with the appearance of the kosher hot dog vendor in 1965. From there on, the culture has developed organically and independent of any bureaucratic intentions. However, the city has made several accommodations in the bylaws that makes it very easy to set up a street food shop in Portland. Beyond stringent health and safety regulations, the restrictions on opening a food cart in Portland are relatively low in comparison to those left over From the late modernist years of the 20th century in most north american cities
0: all food vending units in portland need licenses which are divided into four classes class 1 and class 2 licenses do not allow cooking preparation or assembly on board the food cart vendors can either sell intact packed foods or unpackaged foods class 3 and 4 licenses allow food vendors to cook prepare and assemble food items on board the cart Class four license allows me to be cooked from raw. Classes of licenses require that an accessible restroom be available to employees within one quarter mile or within a five minute walk during all hours of operation. It must include a hand washing system that provides hot and cold running water. The other thing that uh, that we've witnessed, which is pretty fun is some of these are starting to turn over, so you see how the turnover happens in that continuation. And then there's also been developers around town who have said, OK, if the mega restaurant works and the small cart works, then let's see what's in the middle. And so Kevin Cavanaugh, uh, a local developer, has started micro restaurants. And it'll be a, a group of three or four restaurants grouped together with a common eating, outdoor eating area and common main facilities.
1: Food carts in Portland are proven to be complementary to the downtown restaurants as well. They serve as tourist attractions and attract businesses for their counterparts, such as high-end restaurants and retail businesses. Additionally, the culture has also replaced facilities such as McDonald's and Subway's while providing greater diversity of available foods, catering to different personal tastes and cultural preferences, and allowing vendors to distinguish themselves by providing healthy meals and catering to different conceptions of healthy eating. Singapore street food is world famous. Traditional stalls serve up a vast range of cheap and tasty dishes, a staple diet for the masses. But the COVID-19 pandemic is turning up the heat on the hawkers. They face a stark choice to innovate or admit defeat. The pressure is on, it's both physically and mentally, as well as financially.
0: As we have been discussing throughout the episode, street food carts provide a lot to the city. But the city doesn't necessarily provide a lot to them. Amid the pandemic, the culture has taken a heavy toll due to unemployment and depreciating economy worldwide. But even before the pandemic, the vendors on the hawker, though appreciated by tourists and some cities, face severe backlash and stigmatization. Escalating rents, strict regulation and constant instability due to murky regulations make street food vendorship a stressful business.
1: What sort of future urban planning and design tools can be incorporated to better accommodate the street food culture? While that is a large question, some designers are taking innovative foundational steps to rethink urban gastronomy. Activating a city in exhibition in Seoul focuses on food mobility and access in the city, primarily street food culture. Two interesting projects caught our eyes, Restaurant Day and a traveling museum.
0: Restaurant Day is an annual food carnival in Helsinki. The event is a way for people to experience running their ideal pop-up food business. Since 2011, at a local park or street, Santala, the creative behind the idea, invites people of all backgrounds to come up with a restaurant concept and operate it for a few days. Participants decide what and how they want to sell, on a bike or stand or food truck, and what their hours will be. This offers a chance for citizens to understand the operation and struggles of food vendors, along with building an advocacy by understanding placemaking and food. The event is as much an event to bring the community together as it is a medium to highlight the city's heavy regulations of food trucks and pop-up restaurants amid escalating rents. The restaurant day moment has since spread to over 75 countries, as far away as Mexico, Ukraine, and Tanzania.
1: The other project, Traveling Museum, by artist Jorge Mañez Rubio, highlights the pervasiveness of street vendors and their contribution to cities, despite the fact that many operate illegally. The project captures the street food through videography, culminating experiences from all around the world. In a conversation with Bloomberg City Lab, Rubio stated, Their light and environment make our streets a better place. He also adds, We are all equal when we eat at one of these places. We become part of... A very basic human exchange around the most authentic and basic food from each culture or city. Trade. Sito has long insisted that young hawkers need formal training. We really need to set up a hawker culinary institution, a hawker food institution, not just teaches people about how to cook and how to set up a stall, but the full gamut of being a street food professional worldwide. I think there are no heroes in our hawker food culture. We don't have a like a Gordon Ramsay or maybe a Bourdain or somebody of hawker cu- culture that people want to admit, oh, wow, I can be that? What's the problem? This Dane, they like it, but they want to be in it. Singaporeans think hawkers are there to provide them a service, cheaply and affordably, OK? They feel that, oh, it's a culture I can blog about, but to ask me to go and cook and do this, no, 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 I got money, I don't want to be a hawker.
0: Additive shift and increase in advocacy is the way forward to incorporate street food vendors equitably in the city. Currently, the city benefits more from the street vendors than vice versa. This needs to change to bring about a balance of exchange. Future designers and urban planners need to rethink street food incorporation in street planning. Preservation of street food culture is important, as it comes with many benefits. Along with that, just accommodation of vendors through equitable policies and planning advocacy is imperative as well.
1: Now that you have us Talk, we want to let you talk. Hop over to LettuceCD.com and engage in discussion with fellow urban enthusiasts. If you want to dig deeper into today's content, you can find the sources listed under today's episode. This episode's research, writing, directing, and editing was a collective effort of myself and Suba Serkel, urban planning graduate students from UGA's College of Environment and Design. Special shout out to Ebony Hatchett for music production, and thanks to Lettuce Collective for the executive production of this podcast. Since this is our last episode, as your host, we would like to thank you for your time and support. Until next time.